Good evening. Do you believe in ghosts? When the child was five years old, something terrible happened. Look at me, Damien. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. You guys chose the next episode, and it is absolutely disgusting. And I just, I can't wait for it. So just join the sleaze. Mm-hmm. We decide on all the official <laughs> ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for four and a half, actually more than four and a half years. So we have something like 120-plus yeah. bonus episodes, as well as our uh, bonus transmission series, where we talk about new release genre films, which there are a lot on the way. So again, patreon.com slash podcast if you're interested in that. And speaking of which, we have a lot of shout-outs to give Beautiful. this week. Uh, so I'm going to jump into them now. We have Michael Haddad, Alex Adams, uh, Duncan Gilmore, Dan Kraft signing up for $10 a month, joining us for the monthly virtual screening, which we do uh, at the, during the, uh, the last Thursday of each month, typically, but sometimes we do the Fridays, like we might be doing this month. And this month is also the Spooktober virtual screening, which means that I think we're going to be doing a double feature. So we're going to be doing one free one for everyone, and then we're going to be doing one exclusively for the $10 patrons. So uh, thanks so much to Dan. He'll be joining us for that. Uh, we are going to uh, who else have we got here? Oh, Damien Oaks also signing up at ten dollars. Uh, Logan Giesman uh, signing up. Lionel Neves Jr. George uh, Montoya. Rick Kane upgrading from five dollars a month to ten dollars a month. Also joining us for the virtual screen. They're getting popular. Join nice. us a lot. We did last month. We did uh, Drive, directed by Steve Wang. So good. Uh, start starring the the iron chef himself mark <laughs> what is it de cascos uh, just so. a wonderful stunt performer and a crazy direct-to-video action film so thanks Very so much funny to actor too he's got a uh, good comedy chops absolutely so thanks to rick for joining us for that uh we also had soren k sign up mitchell leblanc and we are still going uh we had james francis sign up mitch leblanc uh mick wisen uh joe madden mike bilb uh, Taylor, Jaron Franklin, uh, Erbelin Gizbar, uh, <laughs> a heart attack, wait, heart attack gun <laughs> who signed up for, uh, the $10 a month rate for an entire year. If you sign up, uh, annually, you get a little bit of a discount. So he pledged for an entire year of the show. So welcome. Awesome. Hopefully you stick around. Uh, we've got Mark Power. We've got Brian Clarkson, uh, Paul Merrick, 
um, Fran Evers, Aiden Hadley, I can't believe it's still going, uh, Ulysses Helgera, um, Jackson Littlewood, and Eric Keskin, who last two both signed up once again for the $10 a month virtual screening. So all of, thanks, a lot of people coming to the virtual screening this month. So we're going to have a fun, spooky time at the end of the month. Look forward to that. So yeah, thanks so much to all of you folks signing up. Hope you're enjoying all of those bonus episodes. We appreciate the support. That's the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, is uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you are listening on either one of those platforms and I see the stats, I know that you are. I can see you right now listening on both those platforms. Please scroll down to the very bottom and give us a good old rating and review down there. Helps us climb the ranks and find new listeners. And the very last plug, as always, is the poster art that based out of toronto horror artist trevor henderson did for the podcast it is merch if you if you uh want to get the sleazoids logo put on anything you can get that basically put on anything and you freaks (laughs) have thought of a lot of things there's been pens bot notebooks pillows hoodies just general posters uh you can find the link to that in the description as well as over at sleazoidspodcast.com But that is it for the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. I think uh, two weeks ago would have been uh, the last time you folks on the main feed would have heard from us, and we would have had a very special guest Cameron from the Pod About List show joining us to kind of wrap up our uh, impromptu sci-fi September that we (laughs) did not plan at all and it just happened to work out that way. We started the month by doing a bunch of cyberpunk and we ended the month by doing a bunch of uh, men in rubber suits beating the crap out of each other. uh, Always fun. Yeah, which is one of our favorite things to talk about on the show. So we talked about a lot of Godzilla last month, including Cameron, who brought on kind of the culmination of the Showa era, destroy all monsters, all of our friends, all of the best of them, all hanging out. You had Mothra, uh, you had Ghidorah, you had Godzilla, you had uh, Anguirus, and they all curb stomped uh, Ghidorah to death (laughs) very bloodily. Oh, man. Yeah, seeing a bunch of those monsters just gang beat another monster was something else. I enjoyed it very much. Yes. So we talked about that with Cameron alongside uh, Steve Wang in Screaming Mad George's The Giver, which was essentially a (laughs) Stuart Gordon body horror uh, film if it was done in the style of a Power Rangers action cartoon. Um, Yes. Very, very ridiculous time. With very uh, similar humor to what you'd find in a Power Rangers television show. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so if that interests you at all, that was over on the main feed. Go check it out. But last week, we uh, moved on into Spooktober. And as always with Spooktober, an entire month of this show where we talk about nothing but horror films. Not that we don't talk about them all year, but we're, gonna, we're <laughs> not going to be talking about anything but them. So welcome back to another Spooktober. And we, we kicked it off with the patrons exclusively last week, where, as always, we kick off with some Italian horror just to make sure that they get uh, their due. We, we try to do it every year if we can. And this year we talked about another Italian filmmaker from the 70s named Sergio, uh, 
that uh, <laughs> somehow we had never talked about. There's a lot we've talked and we've talked about a lot of them. I'm surprised we took us this long to get to him. We talked about Sergio <laughs> Martino, uh, the the very sort of like underrated uh, psychosexual giallo filmmaker who also made a bunch of like sex comedies and all kinds of different films. But we talked about uh, his two films starring uh, his sister-in-law, Edwidge Fennick. All the Colors of the Dark and Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key, both films from 1972, both uh, very, very long and um, <laughs> deliberate titles that we had a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of fun talking about. And yeah, they involve uh, black mass orgies, cats named Satan, and uh, <laughs> as always with Italian horror, uh, dummies being hurled off of very tall vantage points. That's so my favorite if you are part interested, of it. Yes, if you're interested in any of those three things, uh, we talked about them over on the bonus feed last week. Go check it out. Uh, But moving on to this week, we have a very special returning guest joining us uh, to continue Spooktober. She is a fellow Torontonian, and she is a film writer for Film School Rejects, and that is Anna Swanson. Anna, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for coming back. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. No, Anna. Especially I was, for the I horror was, month, you know. Yes. Especially, especially. No, yeah. like we 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 had a blast last time. Um, you were on where we were talking about some slimy crime films about kind of like mm-hmm. every men transgressing against much more sinister adversaries in the like Toronto Christmas classic The Silent Partner from 1978 and we also talked about Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear from 1991 and we had uh, <laughs> very icky films in, in, <laughs> in a lot of ways so when I asked you to come on for horror I knew that you would select something in a similar vein so what uh, two films have you brought with you this week and why did you pair them together uh so the two that i have selected are what i'm calling the 1976 fuck them kids double feature (laughs) where we have the omen and who can kill a child yeah i definitely yeah i mean i've been weirdly enough i i mentioned it on our on last week's episode i had not seen the omen yet partially because I had been aware of how much of kind of like a classic it was, and I had always been kind of aware that people found it a little bit overlong and a little bit dull in some patches. And so I just, it it took me a very long time to get to it. And I had somehow never heard of uh, Who Can Kill a Child. And now I'm like, why the hell have I never heard of that movie? (laughs) I know. Well, actually, a little bit of connective tissue between this and last week, um, because you mentioned uh, Edwige Fennec being in the movies last week. Uh, Mm. She had a little guest spot in Hostel Part 2. And the reason that I know about Who Can Kill a Child is Eli Roth. So we're finding those connections. Um, But yeah, this is... Uh, Who Can Kill a Child? It's one of those movies that doesn't really get on everyone's radar, uh, which is why it's one of my absolute favorites to recommend to people. Also, because the title kind of takes you by storm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 just a question that's always been on my mind. Who's allowed to do it? You know, who can do it when you think about it? You know, a lot of people do do it. Yeah, you know, the the it does. And, you, and the, and the answer might surprise me. you. <laughs> yeah. If a movie has a question in the title, it should answer that question. And this one does. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, so we, we are uh, this week going to be talking about some 1960, uh, 1976 post-exorcist, post-don't-look-now horror dramas about a bunch of little guys, you know, a bunch of little freaks. <laughs> And, uh, you know, which kindly adult actors are going to own them? Um, (laughs) So let's uh, kick things off here. Let's start off with The Omen. Who is he? What does he want? Where did he come from? And can he be stopped? Gregory Peck. Lee Remick. If this is the truth, where does it end? All right, we are talking The Omen, the 1976 American and English supernatural horror film directed by Richard Donner and written by one David Seltzer. I'm sure a lot of people know about this film it is an incredibly popular horror film for kind of hilarious circumstances because it it didn't it wasn't really actually even when it came out like considered really a top tier horror film or even on the level of things like rosemary's baby and the exorcist like the films that kind of came uh in 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 the wake of um but it was a huge box box office success and it had a very very solid marketing campaign where everyone went oh man i need to see this little fucking kid what's he doing what's he up to um (laughs) everybody had to go and see it and for anyone unfamiliar with the omen um it is uh, about a U.S. diplomat by the name of Robert Thorne, played by Gregory Peck, obviously a very well-known Hollywood actor for things like To Kill a Mockingbird and both versions of Cape Fear, actually, speaking of connections with Anna. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, I realized actually the last time we talked about Gregory Peck on this show was the 1991 Cape Fear, which I really loved how in that film specifically, Gregory Peck and you know Robert Mitchum is the more imposing character in that original film, and they actually kind of flipped the roles a little bit in the, in the Scorsese remake where Mitchum is kind of like the kindly lawyer and Gregory Peck is the more sleazy lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Peck is, a, is is very good for what he's asked to do here. And in this film, he adopts a newborn child by the name of Damien, uh, played by a very small child named Harvey Stevens. Uh, and without the knowledge of his wife, um, played by uh, Lee Remick from Anatomy of a Murder, uh, he adopts this child because she has just suffered a miscarriage and he just kind of, you know, does a little white lie. He just exchanges one son for another son. He's like, there you go. She doesn't need to know. And then years <laughs> just later... a quick swap. Exactly. <laughs> Year, it is, honestly, this would be the start to a, a sitcom premise in, in another universe. Um, but... But years later, a series of mysterious events and violent deaths begin to occur around the family, and they think, oh shit, could this child uh, actually be the son of the devil? Could he be the Antichrist? And uh, Richard Donner, the filmmaker here, he uh, he favored kind of keeping it ambiguous, you know? Is he really the son of the devil? I think by the end, they kind of say he's the son of the devil, but it takes a very, very long time for them, you know, to figure it out. Yeah, and but I will say too, which is kind of strange on the movie in a way, just as because of how much it invests in kind of the investigation part of it, is they they do pretty much tell you as an audience member like he's the son of the devil pretty much right away, 
uh, I'd say in the first like, 30 <laughs> minutes, you're you're pretty convinced he's you know he's waving at the the Rottweiler. He seems to not be too distraught when the nanny is hanging herself and all of that. Uh, we we have the the nanny that comes into play that seems to be taking care of him, and it just seems very uh, just just devilish, I guess. And so it, it, it's yeah. it's not. Uh, it's not. It's not very ambiguous, uh, the way that they presented it here. I think didn't it? Wasn't it between the writer and the director? Uh, the writer wanted it to be pretty much straightforward and say like he is the son of the devil, and it was Donner that wanted it ambiguous. I think that's what. Yeah. So it yeah. So it, it is. It is basically written that way because the, the screenwriter David Seltzer. He he also wrote John Frankenheimer's Prophecy. He also wrote the film Bird on a Wire, starring Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn, which I don't know what people know about, uh, but apparently he got this gig for doing uncredited rewrites on a Willy Wonka which is just okay. like such a funny um, audition for this film but apparently <laughs> he he rewrote Roald Dahl's script and actually even is credited with writing the song Pure Imagination which yeah I was like Damn. okay and, and for, for some <laughs> reason the studio went that's our guy we need this guy to write our Antichrist film and then they you know they added Richard Donner and I think this is our first time talking about Richard Donner as well but he's a very solid uh, American action craftsman who would go on to make some pretty iconic studio films like Superman the movie mm -hmm. uh, The Goonies Lethal Weapon but around this time in his career um, he would have just finished being uh, an assistant director to a uh, spy who came in from the cold director Mark Ritt, which we've covered on the show, and was also a pretty well-known and respected TV director doing shows like, uh, you know, programmers like The Man from Uncle, The Fugitive, Twilight Zone. And I think he's an interesting choice for this because he does have a general workman-like handsomeness behind the camera. Like, he's a perfectly competent filmmaker and it's oh, it, yeah. it suited it's suited fine to you know like how the movie looks this is shot by gilbert taylor who shot dr strangelove and repulsion and De palma's frenzy yeah i think and, this uh, looks great for sure yeah but 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 seeing those credits that the dp has i was sitting there going man wouldn't it be nice if you know the director was a bit of a psycho and he was a little sure. bit more unhinged like this guy's yeah, too for normal sure. for this story i feel like i don't know maybe yeah. i don't know yeah, about he, enough about richard donner he leans kind of more into like the psychological thriller aspect, it seems, instead of really wanting to get down in the muck with it, you know? Yeah, it also, mm -hmm. I think, um, I don't know if this would come into play when he's directing, but it seems like a lot of the stars, specifically, um, uh, specifically Peck, didn't want it to come off as exploitive. I don't know if that would ha have him hold it back a little bit or if maybe that's even why they hired him to begin with because I think when Gregory Peck was uh, initially choosing if he wanted to be in the film or not, he was saying he didn't want it to come off exploitive. He wanted it to, to be more of a psychological thriller. And I think it's just because he didn't want uh, his career to be ruined, I guess, from possibly eventually stabbing a child to death. So uh, I, fi I find that pretty interesting. I, I do wish they went a little more unhinged eventually. But We've I come think a long way from uh, Robert Mitchum in Night of the Hunter, who had a much better idea, which was how dis perverse can I can I play <laughs> yeah. it? Will you let me play how it? How evil can I be? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think it really works well in the the initial like first half, um, where you're just kind of setting all of this up. I, I do like that kind of the slow burn and the slow build. Um, it's just, and we'll get to more detail, but in the second half, I would have preferred it to, to just really blow up and get really disgusting and, and all of that. But, uh, yeah, they, they do hold back a little bit. 
Yeah, Anna, what was uh, what was your first experience with the Omen? Did you did you watch this as a, as a kid at all? Because I saw the remake, I think, when I was younger, just because I was yeah, like, it's too. a little kid. He, he looks like he's doing something devilish, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is definitely one that I saw when I was a kid. Um, and that I was really eager to rewatch for this because I hadn't seen it since then. Like, I probably haven't seen this movie in at least like 15, 16 years. Um, mm. But watching it back, I realized that the scene with Lee Remnick kind of falling over the banister when like Damien's on the little bike and he, he pushes her um, or hits her or whatever. I realized like, Oh, that scene is like imprinted on my brain. Like images mm-hmm. from that moment mm-hmm. were like coming back to me and I'm like, Oh, this is, this was a formative one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely watching this. I realized like for a movie that I haven't seen in, at least 15 years, I remember quite a bit of this. Um, the priest's death, like there's some really striking images in this mm-hmm. that I think are, are, again, it doesn't surprise me that the DP has credits like that because this looks phenomenal. But yeah, yeah. just like really striking images um, that I, I were apparently very effective for young Anna and adult Anna. So, I mean, credit where credit's due. Yeah, yeah, well, I think that that's one of the cooler parts is that, you know, for, for, for me, this this did, you know, coming at it, you know, just hearing about it for as long as I did, I ended up being kind of primed to be, like, shocked by, you know, how nasty it got when it decided to do that. It's just kind of interesting that yeah. because it's, like, a, almost a two-hour-long kind of, like, slow-burn mystery, I think... I think as a result, those shocks, I think, do have a little bit more impact because of that, um, which which is interesting because, again, this is coming out in the wake of the popularity of like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, which obviously had some pretty shocking moments in it. And people were I don't know, people were just looking for more, I guess. I mean, even in things like you have like Larry Cohen's It's Alive, which is kind of in that void, even though it was a little sure. bit more creature based. But people just mm-hmm. had satanic panic. And uh, parental anxiety so bad that despite this slow burn horror drama, uh, you know, kind of generating a bit of a mixed reaction, it was a huge hit. People yep. wouldn't stop talking about it. It spawned tons of sequels and it had uh, re- remakes and and watching it, I was like, I guess, kind of surprised at how much of a reaction this might have got theatrically in the 1970s. I mean, I could see this being watched on TV and just casually very much enjoying what you're watching when you just pick up on a couple scenes here or there. Um, But definitely when I was watching it, I was like, this is very, very handsome and very competent. And I do love any film from this era because it just features lots of cozy sweaters and like, you know, this, you know, I, I like those autumn vibes and the lush piano. This has a really nice score to it. Um, but there was something interesting to me about just how kind of a lot of the time it kind of threatens to get a little bit more evil than it ever actually does. It has a lot of portentous like exposition to it and a little bit of mood to it. And then, you know, it just kind of draws that out into a series of procedural investigation. It almost turns into like a bit of like a buddy thing for a little while with, uh, with David (laughs) Warner's character, the photographer and, 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 uh, Gregory Peck. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, um, it was one of those movies I was never really allowed to watch like rated our films or anything like that. But this was one that now you're making up for it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Am I ever, (laughs) Um, uh, but this was one that I remember putting on uh, at one of my friends that was able to watch all the R rated movies and we'd put on like scream or whatever. Um, And I remember with this, we, we put it on and we, I, I remember really enjoying like 
the, the creepiness of it. Um, but a lot of the time between the, the big violent moments, like the, the hanging, the, the, her falling off the banister, uh, th- the decapitation, that, that kind of thing, um, it was mostly just like me and my friend just chatting and not paying much attention to it until something violent happened. Uh, and that is pr- kind of few and far between in, in this film. It doesn't happen too often. When it does, I think it accents it really well. And I do think that that slow burn kind of uh, helps accent it as well. So when they, they, they do happen, you're just you're, you're kind of shocked by it. It is very sudden and a lot of the times very abrasive. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was one of those things. I think I think the reputation was almost stronger. Uh, g- g- gave me a stronger feeling of fear than than actually watching the film, even at a younger mm-hmm. age. Um, although, I, like yeah. now, I do. I there there is a lot here that that does work. Like we were talking about just the look of it in general. Like one scene I love is when the um, the priest is about to get impaled with the the pole and they have this like huge wide shot of the park just starting to the the storm is brewing and the leaves are are wrestling around in the wind and and he's just kind of like fearful of i guess god that's about to spite him um and um and there's also another more uh, laid back uh shot where he's looking at the uh, at Damien for the first time um, in the hospital, and it's just got this great positioning of the uh, reflection of Peck and the priest that he's talking to, and the nun who's in the the window in the middle, and it's just a it's a beautiful little shot of just them having some uh, some dialogue together about him swapping the baby, but uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty film, and there's a lot there. It's just I I just get a little bored with with the narrative. And I think it would have probably helped them to um, either pick one or the other. It seems like they had the ambiguous thing through Peck's character, but then we're watching things that are just clearly Damien being the son of the devil. And it felt well, like they, that, couldn't that's just do, it. If they, they They tried to do both, it, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's very clearly in the writing locked in to be much less ambiguous than yes. um, Donner tries to shoot it. And then as a result, Donner is kind of left shooting stuff that is like obviously like kind of a bit ridiculous and a little bit silly and in a cool way and in a way that I think if he leaned into, I would e- I would respect even more. Yeah. But Donner is sitting there looking at it and you can tell that he's like, well, I really want this to be as like realistic as mm-hmm. as it can possibly be. I think he yeah. even was quoted in an interview saying that he avoided any form of surrealism in terms of the style, which I just think yeah, is a little bit that. of a mistake. Or like like I think it's a totally valid approach to trying to get the ambiguity, which is yeah. a you know something interesting that he wants to do, which is like you could watch this film and the way that and, and I think it comes off best in the way that he directs the kid, because the kid is completely innocent. And the way that he acts everything until the very last moment, like this you Theoretically, this kid doesn't seem like he's doing that much that he couldn't just be like responding to. He doesn't yeah, seem he like he's necessarily feels like, he's like being guided rather than he's like he's actively doing these things. Um, even, exa- when, ex- even exactly. when he like messes up the mom, uh, it, it seems as if he's just playing on the tricycle and the nanny that seems to be like the devil nanny, I guess, uh, is kind of guiding him towards her rather than him making the conscious decision to do so. 
Yeah, yeah. So like, I think that that's a pretty good choice. But then as a result, these sequences can't get as surreal as you would hope as like, you know, I, I compare this film a little bit in terms of like post exorcist style horror drama mood to something like The Changeling with George C. Scott, mm, yeah. which those horror sequences basically become incredibly subjective and nightmarish. Or even if you don't want to go quite as far as that and go like the Italian horror of like Amityville 2 or something. So I have Amityville horror on the mind right now because I've watched <laughs> You're about to Six watch to 40 seven, movies. eight of them. Yeah, I've <laughs> seen so many of them. But Amityville 2 is actually really good and has a lot of surreal Italian horror nature to it. And even like an Exorcist 3 kind of like body horror element to it that oh, works yeah. really well. But even if you don't want to compare it to full-on surrealism... Um, Nicholas Roeg's Don't Look Now, for example, is something oh, yeah. where it's like th that feels like it really gets swept up in the psychology to the point that you get a little bit chaotic and confused. And I just feel like this movie never quite gets there, despite the fact that it wants you to get there with Gregory Peck. Like the climax of the, that film, close, yeah. of, of this film, is eventually that's where this wants to take you. It wants to get into the very perverse idea of a father killing his child. And it wants to kind of lay you down the path on how a character necessarily gets there. And I think it's all there in the writing. Like you understand functionally what yeah. the kid does to him that would make him go crazy. I feel like the filmmaking just doesn't get as crazy as he should be as a character. Because mm -hmm. you're just locked into Peck's very grounded, realistic investigation. Um, whereas we get hints of like... You don't want to call it surrealism or anything. It's just hints of the the more exploitive film that could it could have been. Um, instead, we we mostly just have Peck like slowly unraveling all of these things. He's he's talking to you know nun after nun, priest after priest, going to monasteries, all of that. Um, and there's something which, interesting which, by the about way, his it character is nice. Like, like it's yeah. nicely shot. Like I, like I like even the, the, the stuff in the beginning, that's almost like a slideshow montage of them just like enjoying life with their little stinker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like little paddle boat rides, little birthday parties. Like, like all of this stuff is it's, it's very, uh, you know, very picturesque in the way that it's been, been photographed and everything like that. And, yeah. and I, I do, you know, th that, that's why I find it watchable. Like I find even the stuff that, that you might find slow about this film, I do find intensely well-made. It's oh, yeah. just every once in a while, you know, when you get to like that moment where, you know, a Rottweiler shows up on the property and telekinetically gets Damien's nanny to hang herself in front of everyone. You're like, man, I kind of wish there was more like psycho shit like that happening in the film. Like that bit when yeah. she does that, it's it's so impactful where she's oh, like, Damien, look, look up, look up here. I love you. It's all for you, Damien. And then just that. I don't know what they weighed that dummy down with, but the way <laughs> that it the neck snaps and then it yeah. flies through the window. Yeah. Incredible. And they even yeah. cut to inside where you see like the window break and everything like that. Yeah. And then just <laughs> and there's like I, a woman inside who screams. And, yeah. yeah. And I really like the shot, too, of him. He goes like back to the party and you can see the family like trying to hide Damien from looking at it. And they're all cuddling up together. But you can still see her hanging body in the background, just kind of out of focus. Um, th there's mm -hmm. a lot of of cool creepiness to that birthday party scene. I, I especially like that birthday party scene. I think th that whole thing um, is really well made. And, and once again, it's kind of slow, but it, it has just such a exclamation point at the end. And I do really like the Rottweiler, like, like you said, telepathically convincing her. And then even just Damien, <laughs> like looking at the Rottweiler and then smiling and waving at it. It's just, there are some really cool, creepy uh, things to it. Which by yeah, the way, you would be scene. glad to know 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, that scene comes pretty relatively early in the movie. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. think like you kind of don't expect like within the first 10 minutes to get a death like that. But it, it comes pretty, pretty quickly. And I think this movie, I mean, there's like three or four death scenes, but all of them are kind of excellent. Yeah, so I think that's really kind of how the film gets by is that like if it delivers like quality rather than quantity, but the quality it delivers, I think, is really excellent. Yeah, they, they mm-hmm. have a lot of cool little techniques to each death, too. Like when she falls, um, they do this awesome little zoom out because I think she's really just kind of collapsing like five feet from the floor. But they do this nice little zoom out effect to make it look like she's falling from like, you know, 30 feet or something like that. This, um, is, this is when the wife, the, the mother gets killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, my mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the or other when she one. she falls. Yeah, and then the decapitation. Well, because she falls twice is the funniest part, too. Like, the, the fact that they kill her with the same way that she was, you know, injured <laughs> is so cruel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. She, she, she's in the <laughs> hospital from being that. pushed over the second floor banister by her child. And while she's in the hospital, she gets pushed out of the hospital to her death. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the, the banister one is the one I'm talking about with the zoom out effect. The one with the ambulance mm. is just a straight up dummy flying into the roof of an ambulance. There's not, <laughs> not much uh, trickery to that one. Um, it's but It's so great. funny that she falls into an ambulance, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. That is really good. Yeah, and they even do the, like, uh, and it's it's one of the more, like, kind of perverse things where they, they not just show the body, like, fly into the roof and just collapse the ambulance roof, but then they have her, like, come out of the, the back door and her mouth is, like, agape and there's blood coming out of it and everything. Um, so those moments are quite shocking, especially compared to all the investigative stuff that you're mostly watching with Peck. Mm-hmm. Although I, I think I think Peck and Warner do a pretty good job of, you know, I do wish that if they were going to lean into this stuff that they almost went like full buddy hangout movie with it a little sure. bit because that's almost what you're watching. Uh, David Warner rocks some pretty sweet uh, outfits. And obviously I love uh, every every we always talk about David Warner in like his weirdest roles. I think this is probably one of the bigger movies he's been in that we've talked about, but we've only ever talked about him in time after time. The okay, uh, yeah. time traveling Jack the Ripper Sherlock thing and a uh, wax work right <laughs> where he's the uh the murderous max uh museum owner um but in this he's a photographer who's snapping photos of all of these um you know s- uh, things going uh wrong with this uh, u.s diplomat and he's just kind of there uh, r- reporting the news on him and happens to be snapping all of these photos of these horrific accidents and these very ominous sort of uh, slashes coming through the film when he develops it kind of, you know, uh, very uh, pointing towards a, a, a omen of, of death on the way for everyone. Yes. Um, but, oh, uh, uh, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. That just reminds me just before we move on from the birthday party scene, that reminds me, um, I love how they film that scene and specifically the sort of camera clicking that you hear off screen. Mm. I just think it does. It mm. gives it a really good sense of like space and, and, you know, positioning of characters and just, I don't know. It, it almost makes it feel like this like surround thing and the way that it's filmed is really well. Um, really interesting. So yeah. I just had to mention that because you brought up the photographer and I just, that, yeah, I don't know. The birthday scene in general, I just think is so good all around. Yeah, yeah I definitely it's think it's one scene. of the strongest scenes in, in, in the film. And I, I do love that. I, I read that the dog, the dog uh, that they got, which is a, a, it's a great dog. It's a great Rottweiler. But the <laughs> uh, the dog was apparently way too nice. 
and they said that they actually <laughs> had a lot of extreme trouble getting it to act mean on camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cute. He's a good yeah, boy, which, but he wasn't well casted. <laughs> no. <laughs> did did some good work, but it needed to put the effort in on, on that one. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, they, I, I think they do a pretty decent job of like like with that scene and they, they do start to develop this this you know, this sense of mood to it that starts to sort of interlock as they start to, you know, these supernatural things start to build around Damien. I think this is one of the stronger sections of um, the film, like when they have a new nanny arrive and, you know, she arrives and, and she arrives without an invitation and neither of the parents know who hired her and they go, you know, it's just a small detail that they get a little confused by. And she's like, you know, the the nanny service sent me when they found out your nanny died. It was just, you know, it's one of those things. The agency. the yeah. agency yes. sent me, obviously. Yeah, yes, it's, it's very ominous too. Because I don't think I might have missed the detail, but I don't think they really ever explain exactly where she comes from. So I do like that kind of ambiguous nature of it, where it's just like they already have these these followers within whatever devil cult it is, and you know, someone, whoever it was, maybe the devil, I have no idea, told her to 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 go there and take care of him, and you never really figure out exactly where she comes from and and i, I do like that it has a very ominous and she's feel. just got bad vibes oh you know yeah. like what if the nanny just has bad vibes is ultimately <laughs> the question this movie asks because she's like trying to make a case for like letting the telekinetic growling dog into the house which like gregory peck is like no and then they yeah. try to take damien to a wedding in a in a church at one point and this is one of my favorite scenes actually like especially the way it's shot because of the the camera is actually locked into the car and it's doing these very long shots in the car with them as they slowly approach the church just kind of on the horizon line and you just get the score kind of ramping up as you know Mm -hmm. the little kid just starts getting scared he starts trembling he starts freaking out and at one point he starts you know scratching and attacking his mother but at that point it's just you know like it's the filmmaking that is connecting the image of the uh, you know, the scale of the church increasing in size as they get closer to the reaction he's having. They just have no idea. They just think their kid is scared. They don't know what's going on. And I, I like that that level of ambiguity because it's the kind of thing where we're picking up on what's happening, but the parents, you know, aren't. Possibly, and yeah. Yeah, and then it, it's not, it, it, for Lee Remick, who's playing the mom, Kathy, she doesn't really start to pick up bad vibes from her child until they go to the zoo and the, you know, the, the drafts and the baboons are all saying, fuck this kid. And she's like, man, like clearly the, uh, the animalistic instinct is to reject this child. Yeah. Yeah. And all these, all all these baboons can't be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) In, In fairness to Damien in this, in this one scene, I don't know if you guys have ever been to like the African lion safari, but if you do take your car into that thing, the monkeys will fuck your shit up. So you know, it might, <laughs> might not have been the son of the devil on that one, but definitely the giraffes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, and then you'll be surprised at just how much of this movie is like, you know, like scenes of Gregory Peck, like cuddling his wife in bed and then like going to rugby games. And then, you know, like our your father, Brendan, this dude just coming in and, you know, saying, Hey, I think your kid's going to kill someone or something. I don't know. (laughs) Wait, can I, can I read a line that I wrote down from a scene where the priest tells him? Absolutely. You'll see me in hell, Mr. Thorne. There we will share out our sentence. That's the last thing this character says in the movie. And that is so good. I love that line. 
Yeah. There yeah. we will share out our sentence. I don't know. I just think that's like so hard and so good. Um, yeah. And uh, he, I, I like that he even says, you will see me in hell. Like he has this awareness that he's going first, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I think, right where it starts, like the storm and then we get the big impalement yeah. scene. So, yeah, he's, he's yeah, that's his last pretty line quickly. in the movie. His last words are, <laughs> yeah. you'll see me in hell. <laughs> Just oh great. Yeah, well, and, and and I like how very obviously scared and paranoid he is as a character because like there's yeah. a scene in this because I think the scene you're talking about is the one where they meet in the park and it's yeah, almost like a paranoid thriller scene. Like he's mm-hmm. going to go get some political information out of this guy, but it's just a priest sitting in a park just like freaking out. Yeah, and your son's the and, devil. It's not. It's definitely not what he expected in that meeting. <laughs> No, and then and then you you kind of have to believe him when right after he delivers that a storm brews and he just gets fucking shish kebobbed in a cemetery and you're like, well, okay, I guess he he's must be telling the truth in some capacity that you know yeah. this uh, th- th- this kid and, j- check for the birthmark and he reacts in a way that is very much like as soon as the storm starts he's not like oh I should I should go home there's rain coming he's like God is out to kill me right now like he 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 feels it is very personal to him even as big of a scale as the storm is um, on the film but he he definitely fears death right in that moment and knows that it's coming which I I really do like it's very ominous and and creepy I also love his apartment. Oh, when, they, yeah. when they eventually mm-hmm. go to it and it's just covered in crosses and clippings and there's a great shot of like the clippings being ripped down the middle and exposing how close he is in proximity like to the church because he just wants to have a sight line to it from his room that's how terrified he is yeah yeah definitely so that that stuff's very very cool um, but it, it, it eventually leads into Kathy starting to kind of go insane, thinking that she is starting to, you know, doubt her own motherhood, starting to lose a little bit of this maternal connection with Damien, going to a psychiatrist. She's getting very irritated at him and just like having the nanny like kick Damien out of the room, which results, results in this great moment where Damien just like mad dogs her while the nanny is like dragging her out. He's just staring her down. He's like, I'm going to push you off a banister in about five minutes just watch (laughs) just watch um there's something interesting about uh their relationship too uh kathy and robert because it's portrayed a lot of the time like they're in love and they do have a lot of like nice romantic moments and stuff but even when she mentions going to the psychiatrist she's not she she's unwilling to let him know exactly what she fears she just keeps saying that she's having these general fears but we already know that she's starting to doubt uh the connection with Damien. Um, and we already know also that Robert has lied to her from the very beginning by swapping out the baby. Um, so th- there are a lot of these like underlying things in their relationship that don't get fleshed out too much, but I like that they're there. It just makes it a little bit more complicated when they start doing these like subtle or what you, I guess think initially are subtle little lies to each other. Yeah. Ultimately this is a movie about telling a white lie to your wife, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a, that's one of that's that's one of that's one of the funniest parts about this movie. Yeah, <laughs> she'll never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got really unlucky Why? with that swap. I gotta say. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, at a certain point, he he knows, you know, he's starting to suspect what's happening. People are telling him his son is the devil and he can't really do anything about it because one, he's an American, he's an American politician yeah. and, and all he never of their children her. are the devils. Um, and then second, she, you know, he, he can't tell her because he's just like, well, you know, there's he's he's gone this far without telling her. And even though she's like breaking down and she's talking yeah. like she finds out at one point in the film that she's pregnant with another child and she's convinced because of this experience with Damien, she doesn't want another child and she wants um, an, an abortion, which she brings up to um, Gregory Peck's uh, character. And, you know, her her anxieties are sort of manifesting physically in in Damien, who is, yeah, then knocking her over banisters and causing violently, very violently, her her miscarriage. Which yeah. then that is what kind of frightens Thorne enough that, you know, it results in yeah. him actually teaming up with Warner, the photographer, in 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 the subplot where they are like, look, uh, I don't know whose son that I'm raising, and I'm starting to have some conflicted feelings about that, and we need to kind of get to the bottom of that. And and for me, that's when the film definitely kind of like sh- shifts into a little bit of a slower gear where we start mm-hmm. to get a lot. It, it, it becomes just a little bit uh, episodic even where they just yeah. start going like to the hospital where Damien was born and they find out that all of the records were destroyed in a fire. And then, and we're you know, leading to something brief- that we already know. <laughs> so. Yes, exactly. Like we kind of, you know, we've, we've kind of put the pieces together because the we're filmmaking like, to its credit, has, has, has done a pretty good job of letting oh, us yeah. put the pieces together visually. Right. And now it's just, now we need to put the pieces together in the screenplay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, and I do like uh, that. There's one really awesome uh, transition that they do when, it's kind of the start of him and the photographer teaming up and investigating. Uh, He's, he's on the phone with Robert and he's just like, I'm looking at all these photos and you just need to come and see um, what I have here because it's just, something feels off. And they do this uh, shot of the photo that they're going to look at together. Um, And then within that same shot that transitions like incredibly smoothly to uh, Robert already in the development room with him and they start to talk Mm. and and communicate and everything. And um, it's just it was it's just a nice transition. So there once again, some some good filmmaking involved in all of this, even if it gets a little dull here and there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anna, you were going to jump in there. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I think one thing that I actually really kind of appreciate about this and that I didn't necessarily expect um, to feel this way, but I actually think the way that the movie handles like her sort of wanting an abortion, her afraid of like having another kid, I actually think it's it's handled quite well and in a way that surprised me. Like this idea that we have this woman who's like, I want to have an abortion. And the entire way that the movie frames that is like, yeah, who could blame her? Like that's, that's, that's that's not bad for 1976. Like I'll take that, you know? (laughs) Um, and I don't know. I always just any, cause it happens so rarely, but anytime you get anything in a movie of like a woman who in some way like regrets being a mother or doesn't want to be a mother, I don't know. I'll, I'll take what I can get, but I just feel like that doesn't happen. Um, Mm -hmm. so, and I mean, obviously in this one, it's like framed by the fact that we know like this isn't a, this isn't her kid and B, this is the antichrist. So that's why she doesn't love him. But still it's kind of, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think even uh, like Robert's reaction to it seems as if it's not necessarily trying to take it away from her, but he's, he's more in line. Like he's almost fighting whatever he thinks is fate or or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's like, I will not be a part of this. The priest says that. Yeah. 
And the priest says that Damien won't allow the kid to be born. Right. Like he won't right. allow them. So it's to almost like he's trying to battle yeah. his own son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, which is interesting, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the only other film I think from like this, this time and like doing this kind of genre stuff that, that deals with abortion that way is something like black Christmas, I guess. Um, mm, even yeah. though it's not necessarily about a, a, a mother, but I, I do like that so much of that film is just about, you know, it's just a scary movie about navigating this, you know, possibly very abusive boyfriend. And she's just yeah. like, no, 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 I, I cannot be in a relationship with you. And, and the increasingly like unhinged spiraling after realizing that she doesn't want to be involved with him. And I love that that's used as like this big red herring in the film. Yeah. But it's also like a completely fair red herring, like her actual, <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. the, the it's ab- just as legitimate of a fear as anything exactly. else can throw at you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So and and I yeah, so I, I I think it's cool. And I think this movie does is doing something a little bit similar there, except for obviously the exact logistics of it, which you are completely sympathetic to uh, <laughs> her 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 child and everything like that. But I, I, I do find, you know, like there's I there's a really metal line in this section of the film that I just <laughs> love. And I love that it's delivered by Warner, who's kind of like reading poetry and stuff like that during and like drinking tea. <laughs> and like it's a very, very chill setting to deliver the line uh so the devil's child will rise from the world of politics oh yeah (laughs) true which is so sick yeah (laughs) makes sense it's the truth yes and then it leads into these sequences where we get into kind of like the big revelations it takes them a little bit of time to get there but they eventually do you know fight by by going and confronting you know the the original priest who is the one who actually gave him the antichrist in place of you know his you know his his actual child and there's these scenes of them kind of like walking around in the forest and the cemeteries they eventually do get to the grave of damien's mother and they find a jackal skeleton in that grave and then they go over to the grave beside it and they find the skeleton of uh his child who they now assume you know was murdered and that damien was born from like some evil chaos reigns as fox or something um yeah you could call this uh, section of the movie the book of revelations yes (laughs) (laughs) and they are they are then threatened by a gang of dogs which uh you know it's decently shot there's some pretty cool like split diopter sort of like suspense filmmaking going on in this and it's not a bad concept for a creepy scene but i will say after talking so much italian horror on this show uh, you know, it, it's, it, it didn't quite reach that level of uh, dog horror that I've come to expect. <laughs> yeah. Of, no of throats films. are being ripped out or anything like that. You know, no, I even, even in the beyond, <laughs> I was like, man, that dog, he's going to mess you up. Although I will say I love, and I, I, I think I like the entirety of Jerry Goldsmith's uh, score in this. Oh, he's it's a great. composer who did, um, alien and Chinatown and first blood and planet of the apes and seconds. It's and straight Gremlins up evil. And, like, most have done. It's yeah, it's it's really great. And and it's strangely unlike the filmmaking uh, or unlike Donner's approach to the material. Mm -hmm. It's like insanely melodramatic and operatic. Yeah. Yeah. Like like that. That the the I was going to say, like, like, like that that bit during this scene that we're talking about here with the dogs. It almost reminded me of like the Lord of the Rings, like Nazgul attack music where it's like, you know, like huge, huge, like, 
Yeah. And I was like, whoa, where, where is this coming from? Yeah, this has like... That is the, not the way that this has been shot. <laughs> this has like the biggest, darkest choirs that I think I like have ever heard in a score. Um, they're just pure evil. Uh, and I think I've, I looked up the, the lyrics here on the wiki. Apparently, while they're, they're doing the chant, I think it's specifically... He uses it a couple times, but I think it's even the introduction song where it's just the picture of Damien and the upside down cross and all of that. Um, the lyrics in Latin, of course, are, uh, we drink the blood, we eat the flesh, raise the body of Satan. And then other parts are just them chanting, <laughs> hail damn. Satan and hail Antichrist. And I'm just like, that is Holy. metal. That's the metalest thing ever. Nice. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. And really like, um, instead of, I mean, he has like some high tension strings in there to give, give it kind of that creepy, intense feel, but there's a lot of really just like deeper and darker strings that I think just kind of carry a lot of weight to them. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an awesome score. I, I love this score so much. Yeah. I, I think it's a huge reason why I am eventually marginally convinced of like Thorne's turn towards sure. like the very sort of fatalistic dread and almost existentialism of, you know, like that bit where he's talking about the, uh, the, the, the quote that he's bringing up about, you know, like the Jews return to Zion and the comet rips the sky and mm-hmm. the Holy Roman empire rises. And, you know, like, like all of this that like, for because the filmmaking isn't getting as unhinged as the actual writing is i think that the music and the just some of the some of the the mood of it is still sticking uh because of that i think yeah i agree completely and and also when he finds out that obviously kathy was (laughs) very cruelly murdered the exact same way that she was injured and put in the hospital he's just like okay i think it's time to kill this kid i think it, you know i think it's 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 gone too far you know he goes One to he literally is goes a coincidence to, two falls is a pattern <laughs> yeah it's time to end it's this time kid. to go to the antichrist expert and uh get the sacred dagger <laughs> that's right several i believe there's like seven of them Yes. And he tells him that the must the blood must be spilled on hallowed ground and instructs him to, you know, like confirm the bookmark and or the birthmark and everything like that. I do really and, like uh, him looking at him and saying stuff like like he's not a child. Show no pity. Just like he's completely merciless about it. He's he's investigated. Well, because he's all not entirely stuff. there yet. He's like, he's my son. Like I've lived with him for this many years. Yeah. Like I've I've had these beautiful, you know, picturesque slideshow moments we saw earlier in the film, and he refuses to accept the act of, you know, murdering a child is how he gets out of this. And he really doesn't believe it until he sees David Warner get final destinationed by the uh, <laughs> right. truck with the, with the final destination class. in my notes. It's such a final <laughs> yes. destination kill. It, it, oh, it is. is like it's it totally like is. like the, the anticipation, the setup, everything about it is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I love even the um, the aftermath shot. I mean, of course, you have the impact shot that they show like three or four different times from slow-mo multi-angle cutting like oh, like yeah. that the, is where donner's uh, action chops came through he shoots this absolutely. decapitation like he's shooting an explosion yep yep and you have like there's so many parts to it because you do have of course the head that's just like flying off the body and doing a bunch of flips before it hits the ground and then the actual glass that decapitates him goes through a window and like so there's just there's a lot of explosive content happening here um and then they <laughs> accent it with a really awesome shot where it shows the head fall um onto the ground and i think they use the actual actor's head and then just kind of like cut off the shot so it still looks like he's decapitated and he's just looking at himself in the the reflection of the mirror that's beside them 
Um, it's 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 a great sequence. I I love that sequence. <laughs> what a head flip! Yeah, and it's just just that plate glass flying out of the back of a truck too, and it's so God. oh man. Yeah. And that's after it. I think he says like uh, he's like, well, if you're not gonna do it, speaking to to Robert, um, then I'll do it. And he goes and grabs the the weapons and all that, and that's when you know death comes for him. So the devil strikes again. Yeah, and then Peck finally has to go all the way home, kill Damien, having seen firsthand the bodily destruction that he is able to cause, finds that birthmark with 10 minutes left in the film. He's like, okay, I guess he's the devil. (laughs) (laughs) I've confirmed it. (laughs) Yeah, he he brutally murders the nanny uh, by stabbing her in the neck in this very elongated uh, sequence of her like going downstairs and stuff like that. And then I do like the idea in in the the script of this and i actually think that it's funny that i think who can kill a child does the same sequence a little bit stronger but i I do like the basic premise of you know at this point you are sympathetic to the fact that he has to kill this kid but to everybody else it looks like a bizarre situation that's happening and there's this great sequence of events where you know he just appears to be kidnapping his own child to go and you know sacrifice him uh, in a church and he starts being tailed by like you know the security and cops and you know people are all being like what is this guy doing like what this kid is screaming this kid is screaming like please daddy no like what the fuck is happening and even though we completely understand uh he is eventually gunned down in the church and it leads into the very you know sort of iconic final sequence where the uh, the actual the, the president of the United States attends the funeral for his two his diplomat and his diplomat's wife, uh, the Thorns, who are you know having their funeral, and uh, they they give them the, uh, the 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 funeral, and the kid then is presumably adopted by the president, and little <laughs> Damien is headed to the White House, baby, and he's smirking it up on television. <laughs> yep, and he's looking right into the camera and everything, which I actually do enjoy quite a bit just watching the like little cute five-year-old smile at you after after all of this it is i do yeah i really like that shot yeah and and i i I think that it's a really perverse idea that you know we can be as audience members completely sympathetic to someone uh wanting to you know just absolutely annihilate a child (laughs) and then having the sequence of events take place that would normally happen if you didn't have that context which is that people would go dude why are you about to murder this child like don't do that and i i do think that uh you know i would buy it a little bit more if once again the filmmaking was able to get into that kind of unhinged headspace with him a little bit more mm-hmm. um which yeah. i do think who can kill a child actually does a very similar scene and 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 does it but we'll get to that that later but this is still very solid for me yeah yeah me too um, i uh i also think it's a kind of funny that the cops like they go into the church and they you know they take out their pistols and they eventually shoot robert um, and then they have the very like ceremonial funeral with all the honors and all of that. It's like they kind of right. kept that under the rug. They're like, we won't mention that his last moments were him trying to stab his child in a church. <laughs> I think American that that's pretty funny died idea. in a church. What was he doing there? We just don't know. We don't know. No but one we will shot ever him. know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that he was I, taking I really his like son to pray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really like that thought. So. That's that's funny to me. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do think there's something cool, too, about the fact that um, Donner and Seltzer are also both Jewish. So this is actually because mm. a lot of the cr- sort of Christian iconography that we've talked about, especially, you know, we're talking about Friedkin. We're talking about the exorcist. Like it comes from a very internal place, a very self-loathing place almost of dealing with uh, the contradiction of faith. And this kind of does come from a little bit of a, a little bit of an outsider perspective on isn't this shit just fucking crazy? Yeah. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> like, what? what is this? <laughs> so I, I kind of appreciate that element too. Do people believe this shit? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if we're uh, maybe pivoting towards reductive rating round, I think on on Omen, I think that uh, yeah, I think that this is a, a a very very solid to to actually pretty high three. Um, yeah. For me, like I, I totally see like. You know, the, it has very solid performances. The score is very lush. It's the the actual shock kills when they kick in, very very well done. Yeah, so I shocking. totally see why this has kind of become a little bit of a you know sort of quasi classic horror film, and it's very very watchable. Yeah. Um, my only, there. yeah, my my only real issue with it is that it's it's a little bit overlong, and you do feel a little bit the fact that. The screenwriter had one kind of movie in mind about just getting really, really absurd and literal with this kid being the son of the devil and a filmmaker who kind of wanted to class it up, who wanted to come at it from the point of view of, you know, a very sort of tasteful, quaint, you know, very gravely serious uh, sort of directorial approach. And and I I don't think that that's... uh, I think that the movie could have benefited from, you know, like... uh, being less uh, dryly elegant and expository, you know, yeah. being a little bit more subjectively and psychologically hysterical, even just going as far as like something like Don't Look Now does, um, right. or going even further and being like a very genuinely hellish like exploitation movie. Like, like it feels. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I like. I feel like that's where this kind of needed to go. Because, like, I mean, the fact that they don't even show Peck getting massacred by the cops. I was like, come on, dude. If Sergio Leone can have Henry Fonda <laughs> shoot <laughs> <Right>. a child <laughs> uh, as his opening scene in Once Upon a Time in the West, I feel like audiences in 1976 could have handled seeing Gregory Peck just get absolutely annihilated as graphically as we saw so many of the other uh, yeah. deaths. I wonder um, if Peck like just didn't want it because I did mention earlier he said that he didn't want it to be like super exploitive and kind of liked this classier feel. So I'm wondering if they were like, "Can we just like squib you up?" And he's like, "Fuck no, you can't." <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, know. very, very, very possible. I think a lot of people involved wanted this to be just a lot more taut and a lot more. Uh, kind of muted than yeah. the material is uh, calling for, especially if you want to, like this film does, kind of d- you know actually get into the perverse idea of getting swept up in the idea of you know righteously murdering a child. And I think as yep. sturdy as the film is, the you know the the filmmaking just doesn't quite reflect that mindset as 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 much as I would um, hope it would. And I kind of like uh, I was I was reading a couple of reviews on 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 the film that I could find and I, I kind of liked Sean Fennessy's read on this because he mentioned in, in his that Carrie came out just a few months after this and is you know also doing a kind of Christian exploitation panic thing but mm-hmm. Palma is just obviously insanely lurid with the child violence <laughs> um, oh, and yeah. it's just something that Donner just doesn't have the instincts for you know he's more of like a Spielberg or a Lucas type and I think in, in his review he's like he's like despite the vast 
vast differences in genre. This is an apprenticeship for things like Superman and the Goonies and Lethal Weapons because it's, you know, it's a great premise, slumming stars, creaky plotting, two, three killer scenes and irresistible marketing. And I was like, yeah, that's actually, that sums up the Donner approach. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and it's totally sturdy film. So high three for me. Yeah, I think I'm I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, it was like Donner was like, uh, yeah, I made the Goonies. I can't have the child die on screen. I just can't do it. But uh, well, he made the Goonies after this, right? I feel. Oh like. yeah, you're yeah. right. That's an '80s. Yeah, movie. Goonies was yeah. '80s. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So he would, he, but 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 you can you can see where his instincts like one day uh, I'm gonna make the Goonies by where he went. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can't have this crazy exploitive uh, genre movie where a child gets massacred because eventually I want to get into the family films. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I'm a strong three. I think it's a beautiful looking movie. I think the performances are great. Um, I just think it, it, it needed, it, it kind of does do that. Uh, tries to do a balancing act between the exploitation stuff and the very slow burn investigative stuff. And I think it would have benefited from leaning a little more to the extreme side. Um, especially in the second half. Like I like, I think the first half can perfectly have that kind of slow burn um it's just that once these, these things unravel and now we're dealing with like you know a devilish cult and and the son of satan and all that it just needs to get more explosive and and in your face so um yeah i i think this is still quite a good good movie a lot of a lot of great moments i just uh falls a little bit flat by the end for me so yeah strong three Hell yeah, can we do one. half ratings for sure can i say, oh, can yeah. I say three and a half Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is a solid three and a half for me. Yeah, I kind of agree with what you guys have said. Um, But I think, I don't know, I think for me it's just, it's just very watchable, even when it's kind of a little bit slower and a little bit more procedural. Um, I think it just has that, like, 70s look and, like, I will watch Gregory Peck do anything. So I think it's it's just very watchable no matter what. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is what I think helps it from sort of feeling any sort of length to it. Um, cause it is fairly long. It's, it's nearing two hours. So not, yeah. it's not a short movie, but yeah, I do find it For very sure. watchable. Yeah. And also, yeah. uh, we said it, but Goldsmith's score is just awesome. Yeah. I, I love it. So, uh, that as yeah. well. Yeah, the only thing uh, in my notes I didn't get a chance to bring up that we should mention here at the end, other casting options for Thorne. Do you want to hear these? They're pretty nuts. Ooh, yes. Oh, yeah. One I specifically uh, think would really work well, but go ahead. Yes. So I'm going to lead up to that to that one, because I think we might have the same one uh, that we agree on. But there was Charleston Heston was considered Roy Scheider, Dick Van Dyke, Charles <laughs> Bronson, yes. which I guess he was in a completely different mode of his career at this point. So I guess that but I don't, I don't know how that would have worked. But the one that is really intriguing and would have been in the more, I think, lurid version of this film, Oliver Reed. Yes, definitely. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have been because I think. I think about his performance in The Brood all the time. Right. And yeah. And and just, you know, again, fuck them kids cinema. Uh, The Brood has got to be, you know, like up there pretty high with those little that shots of them like pounding on the fucking door and shit like that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Where Gregory Peck Um, at the end is kind of like crying and saying, like, God help me and stuff like still still almost um, uh, resisting to to kill Damien. I feel like Oliver Reed would just be like, you're fucking done, kid. And and just give it (laughs) give it his all. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it would have been a very interesting. Interesting, uh, interesting casting, I think. Yeah, I think that definitely would have been cool. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for The Omen. We are going to be right back. We're going to be talking about a film that kind of cap tries to capture a, sing- uh, a similar sort of parental anxiety, uh, but does take it, I think, in the genuinely exploitation-y and <laughs> disturbing uh, way, while also still kind of being a bit of a slow burn. And uh, so yeah. we're going to talk about that next year. We're going to talk about who can kill a child. All right, we are back, and we are talking who can kill a child. Uh, all as, as always, we love getting into the foreign horror because it results in a ton of different markets where it played and a lot of alternative titles, which there love are it. quite a few for this. So this is also known as Island of the Damned or Island of Death, and Death is Child's Play, uh, getting... <laughs> getting beating child's play to the alternative title which i i don't remember where that was the in the uk i guess that was the title but it is a 1976 spanish supernatural horror film written and directed by one narciso cerador or also known as uh, chicho cerador and based on the novel children's game by a spanish journalist turned fiction author juan martinez and this is an insane movie. Um, <laughs> I should start with the log line for people who haven't seen it. Cause I assume there will be a lot of people who haven't seen this one, but I hope a lot of people will be checking it out. Uh, but it is loosely about a couple of English tourists named Tom and Evelyn played by Louis Fiendur and Prunella, uh, Ransom, uh, who arrive at the Island of Almanthora off the Spanish Mediterranean coast. And there they discover Uh, a small filling village that is completely abandoned and seemingly there are no adults. There are only some maniacal children who just very creepily ignore them or stare at them or very ominously smile at them and are perhaps plotting an overthrow of the, uh, Hell yeah. uh, the, the adult world uh, for <laughs> all kinds of uh, pain and suffering and misery the adults have inflicted on children through the ages, which the film captures in a really disturbing... Um, that never ends. Uh, yeah, like, like essentially Mondo documentary montage of archival footage of just children suffering during war over this very, like haunting lullaby like little uh like hum that almost yeah. reminded me of the uh the the little lullaby from the innocence yeah <laughs> jack sure. clayton's movie and it goes but just imagine like, that music over top of like concentrate concentration camp footage and like mass graves and children being experimented on and just horrifying wartime conditions in india pakistan korea nigeria over the following decades after world war ii the uniting factor of all all of this image just the total bodily annihilation of children yeah it's horrifying yeah and it and it's this is all in the the opening credits by the way too yeah yeah but be <laughs> warned like i guess 10 actually minutes of the movie is just this 
Yes. Yeah. And I think it is. It's like it's it's close to 10 minutes of it. And so you're just watching like this horrifying historical footage and you think that it's going to move on. But, you know, it goes from the Holocaust then goes to the Korean War and then it goes to, I think, Vietnam and then it goes to Nigeria. And like it's just it's constant for a, a solid 10 minutes before it's even you're introduced to the actual, you know, location that you're going to be at for the remainder of the film. It's um, yeah, whether by genocide or starvation or napalm, one child dies every five seconds. And this montage really wants you to understand that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it when it just kept like switching locations uh, and the, the credits were still going. I was just like, oh, my God, this is a lot. Yeah, to talk take about in right if, now. if we were we were complaining that we think that the omen maybe was afraid to go <laughs> uh, lean into the exploitation. And this Not is this probably one, one of. This is a, almost like this is, uh, yeah, like one of those things that actually might turn people off. That's how exploitative it is to like put archival <laughs> Holocaust footage in your opening montage. Yeah. And it's the like most explicit stuff. You have like the, the bulldozer. It, 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 and, like, it's, it's literally it's, imagery from from Night and Fog. Right. And stuff like that. So yeah. so genuinely be warned for anyone who just it might not be expecting that when they turn this film on, because I definitely wasn't. <laughs> no, and, and especially just once again for how long they do it. It's it's, it's crazy. Um, yes. But it sets the tone. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it definitely sets you up for, you know, like when Tom and Evelyn do arrive in, in Benavis and they, you know, they're on vacation before having their third child. Um, and it's done in this really cool sequence where it opens not with them, but on a child actually discovering a stabbed corpse on the shoreline. And we actually track with this corpse on her ride in the ambulance until the camera literally parts ways from that scene because you think that's what the movie is going to follow. And then it starts focusing on this couple arriving and the fireworks and the parades and the chaotic excitement and the warm colors and and all of this stuff that should be really nice is is tinged by this like foundational piece of like confused violence of like this this history that, you know, this carnage that, you know, is out there and that, you know. Uh, you know, whether these characters are taking photos or talking to the locals or, you know, what, whatever it is that they're doing, having fun, that that does kind of sit in the back of your mind that something is like really wrong and, you know, and, and evil out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I've found it to be surprising at how long they take for this to really start ramping up. Um, I think it's it works really well because you get settled into their relationship together um, and kind of the mood that they're in on this vacation, which is very happy and positive. Uh, they're just like, like you said, exploring the festivities and just getting to know the land and all of that. Um, but it, I don't it know if we mentioned this yet, but also <laughs> she is pregnant. Um, yes. While they're on this mm-hmm. vacation and that does become pretty significant. We should oh, say yeah. that hugely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A horrifying scene later in the oh film, God, which will, yeah. which will, yeah, which we'll get to. But yeah, it's it's one of these things where I I think that um, the early goings here, because th- this is by the end of the film, it's a very bleak and very menacing riff on you know a, a children's uprising subgenre, I guess you could say. Like imagine Children of the Corn, but you know, good. and and it. it but yeah, actually good. And, 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 and it, it builds with this very fantastic, very slow burn, eerie atmosphere. And it actually does deliver, I think, on the shocking, violent payoff and like the sustained 
hysteria of the characters who find themselves in a situation like that, especially because once again, it's for, for this film, it's not necessarily just parental anxiety that your children might be the devil. It's actually the idea that you have inflicted suffering on your children by bringing them into the world. And now you are experiencing kind of like the cathartic revenge and wrath and, and punishment for doing that because the early goings of the film, it's very, and once again, both of these, I think are very post don't look now it's a very beautiful combo of um, like travelogue imagery, like from that film, yeah. but it has this strange and creepy detail and mood that just keeps popping up um, in inside of it, which reminded me more of Jamie. This will be a deep cut for any listeners of the show who have been around for that long. Uh, the Australian film long weekend, Oh, yeah. Where that uh, couple goes on the road trip and is essentially just very slowly rejected and assaulted by nature for like 80 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> now absolutely. just replace nature with children. And it's it's basically the same premise that's that's happening here. And um, yeah, like I, I find even though like like the omen, you could say that this maybe takes a little too long to reveal exactly what it is. Or I guess the problem with the omen is it reveals it too soon yeah, maybe, <laughs> and you're sitting yeah. there waiting for the characters to catch up to you. <laughs> I think that the slow, because I think they are the same length yes, and I found this way more deliberate in its pacing, like not episodic at all, not like trying to, you know, uh, detour or do anything. I find this very, very deliberate and planned from like the opening moments and just constantly escalating as it continues to the very end till honestly the ending of the film. Um, yeah. I think it's really well drawn in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, like I, I'm trying to think how long would you say before they see like the first Hint or the the first real murder. I think it's like a it's good a while. It's like I would guess like 40. close to an hour. Yeah, it might mm. it might be honestly. Um, and before they gotta get because, to because, because the, the, the first hint, it, it's when they see the little girl beat the old man to death. Right, like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the first the moment one. where they go, oh, <laughs> yeah, that that's the big one, and and that's kind of where he, he starts to think like, oh, it could maybe just be this like one off child, but then he goes into the the barn that he leaves him at, and they are like pinning him up or. or uh, playing oh him God. up as a pinata and then using like a, a scythe or something to, to try to cut his head off and everything. And that, that's Ooh, the, the big moment. <laughs> yeah. That's the big moment for him where he's like, something is definitely wrong. And I, I really like the, uh, the child performances in general. They're, they're not doing this like, um, like with children of the corn, for instance, most of the time they're doing like, they're trying to act evil and be angry and, and kind of ominous and all of that with this one, all of the fear that you as an audience member experience come from the fact that these children are smiling and laughing and having the absolute best time fucking up all of these adults. Um, mm -hmm. and there's something very obviously creepy about that. Um, but even at the beginning when they, they kind of go up to the, the Island and the kids are just playing in the water and they start to like grab onto the boat. Um, and you know, she, the, the, the wife just thinks that they're playing and all of that. Uh, but we eventually find out that there's a much more ominous feel to it. It's, it's got a, a nice little setup before things even start to, to ramp up that, that I did enjoy. It's got a good mood. I also wanted to mention this is pre children of the corn. So this movie even kind of did it first and didn't kind of have that mm. as a frame of reference. You know? I don't know, just for how well children of the corn is known. Um, yeah it did this kind of something similar but first 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Stephen, Stephen King's <laughs> yeah. short story actually even came out after this. So who's to say Stephen? Yeah. We're looking at you, man. <laughs> that's it. Hey, that's another, uh, King thing that we, we watched, um, your vice yeah, is a locked week room, well. and he had a similar thing to The Shining, where the guy was like the whole time saying that he was going to get revenge on his wife or whatever, and that's what he's been. And typing. he was writing it into the typewriter over and over again yeah. with writer's block. So yeah, Stephen, and that came out before The Shining novel. <laughs> Stephen King, baby, we're, we're we're I think we're discovering a little bit of uh, his inspirations in these last couple of weeks, besides the cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, but I, I, I really do think that this just and, and I think I like credit to the performances as well. Like I, I do just enjoy like seeing the this like seemingly very normal couple just having a good time on this vacation that they're that they're taking. Mm-hmm. Like all of the yeah. spectacular footage of them watching the fireworks silhouetted by all of the colors and hanging out on the beaches. And there's this and hilarious scene that I had to <laughs> pause it because it was just I was I was dying where the it's, it's such a. Uh, the husband thing to do to be talking to the wife and be, you know, the, the wife is, is ask Evelyn's asking him, you know, like what, what upset you? And it's a, one of the local guys brought up cause they were looking at footage of um, Vietnam on television. And the guy brings up, you know, the world is mad. And the worst part is, is that children suffer the most. And it gets him thinking, it gets him thinking about a Fellini film that he likes called La Dolce Vita. Um, and he brings it up to Evelyn and he specifically, he's talking about the scene in the film where the one guy essentially kills his children out of fear of the kind of world that they might grow up to live in. And he's, you know, it's, it's, it's very much explicating the ideas of the film, yeah. but it's very funny that, you know, he's telling his pregnant wife about a <laughs> child murderer and like that he kind of understands the feeling that that guy was bringing up looking at that footage of all of that suffering. And then the sure response is, well, what's the name of that director? Fellini? Is he Italian? Of course. Well, then he's just a fascist, just like Mussolini. <laughs> <laughs> this is just great it's just a great moment i also love um, just how good the vibes are besides that that one moment where they're doing that back and forth like every every other part that they interact with is very just you know very positive and lighthearted and and all that um and then that's oh yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to make the best of their scenario even when they get into that section of the film where they actually in the abandoned island and everything is unnervingly quiet and all you can hear is their footsteps in the wind this section almost reminded me of the early parts of mario baba's film lisa and the devil where she goes on vacation and then suddenly she's in like a carnival of souls like purgatory where nobody oh, yeah. exists and she's like walking in a dream and that's what this section kind of feels like but there's a part in it where you can see the husband like trying to make the best of it. And he literally like walks over to a store and just brings her like sliced bread and hot, cold hot dogs and brings it on over to the restaurant because there's no one there to actually make them food or serve them. And he starts like trying to be her waiter and trying to be romantic. And it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's so cool how in the periphery, everything screams something is wrong right you know the the mood and the atmosphere is is all off and you just see these characters trying to have an enjoyable vacation within that and i think there's a lot of tension to that honestly like watching these characters not realize that um even though we don't even know exactly what it is that's wrong with all of this it's just creepy like the kids standing in the doorway spying on them and shit like that or not talking to them yeah and then they start to slowly oh go ahead I was going to mention how they show up and it's like, you know, there's 
no food and like they go to an ice cream cart and it's all melted and there's like a rotisserie chicken that is like burnt to a crisp and there's just this kind mm-hmm. of feeling of like there were people here but they have just seemingly disappeared yeah like there's still he'll go into rooms and there's still just all of the the clothing that they you know quote unquote left behind and all of that um so there's just sure signs that somebody was here, something was happening, um, but everyone's disappeared. And then they start to unravel a little bit of the information. Like when he's in one of the stores, it might've been the variety store at the, at the, when they first get onto the Island, uh, they have this awesome shot where the camera pans and follows his feet. And then all of a sudden, like a dead body, uh, appears on, on screen, but he can't see it cause it's on the other side of the aisle. Um, and so you're just starting to get these these hints of, you know, people are dead, but you almost don't want to convince yourself that it's the children yet. <laughs> I mean, we kind of know what's <laughs> happening because we know the premise of the film. But if you were to go into this blind, I do kind of like how they're slowly delivering that information and just making it creepier and creepier until it's uh, un- revealed that it's the children. Yeah, the children are just giving off bad vibes and they assume that the village is like because it's a village of only 100 or 200 people. They suggest they assume that they are doing like a fiesta on the other side of the island. They're like, yeah, that makes sense to me. That's why everyone just, just left. You know, ev- yeah, <laughs> they were like they, they just like abandoned all their businesses and you know like they're like how does that really make sense they start receiving like creepy ominous phone calls that they don't really understand and eventually they do witness once again this little girl beat an old man to death in the alley and i love how that sequence starts because it starts as a hey look there's an old man over there like hey it's another adult let's that's cool and then they're like hey there's a little girl oh look at this is this is adorable and then they're like oh god oh god wait what is she doing yeah <laughs> she, she just yanks a stick cane? from him yeah she yeah. eats him with his own cane yeah and i do i, I that it's, reminded me too i think the very first time you see i don't know if it's the girl that beats the old man, but it's another girl that comes up. Um, and I think it's right after they, uh, separate for the first time. Um, so he can go look for food. And this girl just only says her name, just gives this very creepy smile and is silent the majority of the time, but is willing to, uh, look at her baby and start rubbing her belly, which, um, Mm. I did like, uh, you learn about it later on, but I think that's when the, transformation of the baby happens they indoctrinate Uh, yeah yeah which we don't find out for another like 45 minutes but um i i do like that that at least initially seems very sweet but there's still some like creepiness to it because she refuses to say anything to her she just kind of smiles and leaves um and then once you get the full context that scene becomes just absolutely horrifying so and i think in that scene the music kind of amps up a little bit make Mm -hmm. it seem uh pretty threatening but yeah Yeah. like something that should be innocuous you kind of get the feeling that it's not at all yeah yeah definitely Mm -hmm. and then it even becomes like supernatural in a sense too like beyond just the 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 kind of hive mind that the children acquire but like uh, at one point they are looking at the uh the, the fishing child for instance and he seems like the one that really doesn't want any other shit right away. Uh, and he follow, um, the, the lead, what's his name? Uh, Tom. Uh, Tom, Tom follows him around a corner and he just kind of vanishes. It's like these kids are either like kind of a supernatural force or they just know the city so well uh, that it's almost advantageous to them. 
Um, but either well, way, see, I think I think that this is what this where like this aspect of the film is where I think it takes over the omen for me because it's a very similar idea, but it is actually getting you into that subjective, scary headspace that these characters have actually find themselves in. And, and yeah. honestly, this does as much of it as like there's a lot of a lot of what takes place in this. You could say just is what physically happens that it does yeah. make sense on like a realistic level but it's just it's taken to some very creepy extremes in the way that it's been shot and the way that it's been kind of choreographed like with the later with like the swarms of kids and like that yeah. kind of imagery and stuff like me that. Of birds. And, <laughs> yeah honestly just like the kids. birds and, like it'll overlook it yeah exactly <laughs> kids <laughs> exactly could have been the alternate title. well and, and I, I looked it up too I had to know because this film I thought was just gorgeous and it was shot by um, Jose Luis Alcane, who actually, it turns out, would go on to become um, Al Motivar's cinematographer as well as, so he shot like The Skin I Live In, Pain and Glory, like a lot of his recent stuff. And mm. also, late De Palma, baby, uh, he shot Passion in Domino, Ooh, which I was oh, like, wow. hell yeah. Nice. So, this guy's a legend. This guy, he, yeah, he kind of has that energy to him because like it is, it is, implied in the text that there is this almost like in the atmosphere there is this cosmic revenge of the children punishing the adult world for all of the suffering that we've inflicted on them but like the style does actually maintain on just like uh you know on a situational level like tom and evelyn are trapped they are surrounded on you know like everything is either completely bare and empty in a way that's creepy or if there is anything there it's a swarm of children who are you know uh using a sickle on an old man and uh, beating him like a pinata with it and it's the, the, that like intense cross-cutting between like his gored face swinging up and down and their smiling giggling faces and tom's just like you know, freaking out at what he's seeing. Like it's pretty chilling stuff. And I think yeah. that that moment, which comes at about the halfway point, that moment, instead of being like this thing where it's just like, it's a moment of shock and then it kind of goes back into being whatever it was, that moment locks you in. And it's yeah. like, no, 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 this is now a tense, scary, gruesome situation. And you now have to see like how they get out of it. And I think it sustains like the actual tension and, and, and atmosphere for basically the remainder of the film. Yeah. Like, like God, like when, when, when they start opening up the doors and just like finding bloody stripped corpses everywhere from the night when the kids just woke up, uh, woke up and just decided we are going to quote unquote laugh and play, but with knives. And they basically went house to house, creating a seal of screaming is how it's essentially described by one of the adult survivors who who tells them about it who also gets to deliver the line who right. can kill a child yeah. because because that's the thing is like you're looking at what they're doing to you but can you really kill a child you know who can i don't know yeah and it's it's and and anna sent that uh, screenshot to me with a uh, rick dalton pointing at the screen and i was like that's exactly what i did yeah, <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> Yeah. There it is, baby. <laughs> and there's a, there's a real sadness to his character just because, um, well, one, I like that it shows um, Tom, you know, looking around and he actually sneaks around Tom in the background. And in any other film, you'd think like, 
you know, that'd be someone you have to look out for. But you're already kind of threatened by the kids that you're like, oh, that's an adult man. He, he might not be someone that we have to deal with down the line. And there's a little moment of confrontation because they don't know each other. And, you know, they're in this really crazy circumstance. But um, it eventually leads to a very kind of sad moment where he just follows his daughter. He's lured by his own daughter, right? Because like, of his own paternal it, instinct. Yeah, he's like, I love her. I don't know what to tell you. It's my daughter. I'm going to go with her and take care of her. And then... Inst- I think it's almost instantly he turns the corner. You hear a ton of kids just like screaming, just screaming. you hear him screaming. Yeah. yeah. And then just nothing silence, at least from him. The kids are laughing and having a fucking great time. But that <laughs> long walk down the alley is the best part. Like yeah, where they're theory. just watching him hold hands with her yeah. and they're, just, they, they know what he's walking towards. They've already looked down that alley at an old man getting beaten to death and he turns that corner and yeah, just nothing but screams. It's great. Yeah. Yep. And that's and that's where uh, you get some other things like um, they start getting these phone calls from someone that's in like the operating booth. Um, and even then they're doing some awesome kind of like siege stuff where uh, it, it expands. But at first it's just this this woman in the operating booth is trying to get a hold of them and try to get help just as much as they're trying to get help. And you see the the door like just, you know, just banging over and over and over again until finally it's opened. And instead of like what you'd think is, you know, mass people with a, a bunch of weapons or whatever, it's just a pile of kids running into the room <laughs> and uh, killing this girl. All of the swarm of kids imagery is so like, like it's at, on one level, it's silly because yeah. it is what it is. It's a, just a swarm of children, but, but that's, that's how they get you to underestimate them. And that's right. how they get away with all of the horrifying shit that they do. Like it's literally the finale of the omen where he's like, I'm going to kill Damien and the kids going daddy. No. And you know, even though he knows he's the son of the devil and has decapitated people and shish kebobbed people. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, it's, it's, it's that exact same quality, but just extended to like a ground level suspense sequence and like almost action siege sequence. As you mentioned, like it's practically assault on precinct 13, you know, kind of, like, yeah, there's a like, lot of yeah. action in this, to be honest. Like the the horror there moments come from like the general thoughts. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like a lot yeah, of the so the good. horror actually does come from just the idea <laughs> of the children attacking because what they present eventually, like you have the the more horror uh, elements like the pinata and the and the decapitation and stuff like that, but then eventually they're doing like car chases while the kids chase them um and uh yep. they're there you, you see images of like just gangs of kids holding machetes and and weapons and stuff like that um i love that shot of when they visit that woman uh who lives in the hut and mm. when they decide that they're gonna flee from there there's this amazing push in that turns into a low angle shot on her where she's watching them run away and she's wondering like kind of exactly why and the camera tilts up to reveal an entire mountain covered in children behind her. Yeah, yeah. That was the shot that yes. reminded me of birds the most, actually. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a really good point. Yeah, that shot is so good. And that's also, I guess, where they, they let you know how they're communicating. And it almost seems like telepathically. It's like if one of these kids that are have been you know, corrupted or whatever, uh, look at another child directly in the eyes for a few seconds and is able to communicate these like thoughts. They become part of the hive mind. 
um, which I thought was interesting. Well, it's not I, possible that they've all gone mad. Maybe, maybe by instinct or evolutionary development, they've just made us their enemy. Yeah. But why? Thought, why have they done this? I thought it was interesting because I, I, for a second, I thought it was just this kind of like collective hive mind that they were all naturally, it was all naturally occurring. And it, it instead is revealed that it's more like a kind of like a zombie thing in a sense where, you know, one kid so, communicates with another kid that this is what they're doing now and and they just become part of it um and so I, I really peer pressure. yeah peer pressure that's a great way to put it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is good analogy so good <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah is this movie just yeah. one big anti-peer pressure psa <laughs> yes absolutely it is it could be Oh, and I will say the 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 climax of this film, the final like probably I guess like 20, 30 minutes or whatever. It yeah, has been long. added thanks to Anna to my uh, my Mount Rushmore of fuck them kids movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm honored. It's, it's incredible. I like that. It's it incredible. starts like it, it kind of hints towards it a little bit. The first sign is when he gets the car for the first time. Um, and he's traveling. I believe it's when he travels to that little hut with the with the woman and her children. Um, and there's a line of kids that he's just fully willing to go through. And all he's the kids run over. Yeah. All oh the my kids god. Yeah. What a what a moment of sitting there with that perverse thought. Yeah. You're just like exactly. Oh yeah. Do you know what? Do it. Run <laughs> yeah, them over. Just do it. <laughs> These kids. The movie mean is business. like. <laughs> the movie's like 90 minutes of like the question who can kill a child, and then, like, 15 minutes of the answer, this guy. Tom. Yeah. The- <laughs> Tom can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because after that, he just, he holds, like, it, it's no holds barred after that. He just, he basically goes, if you're going to try to kill me, I'm, I'm killing a child. I'm, I'm trying to think of the first child killing that he does. He shoots the kid who's aiming the gun at his wife is the first kill. Right. The, the first like actual right. killing because the wife yeah. is saying you can't just run over a giant pile of children. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm I'm a parent enough. It. We have two other kids. I'm currently pregnant. I'm you know, I we can't kill a child. That's just, you know, she, she's she's looking at the title and going, nope, I <laughs> not me. And the sequence continues into a siege thing where the kids are like pounding on the door. It is almost like that scene from the brood when you see the tiny little fists, like trying to break in and stuff. And the kids, and then the kids, the kids are organized. They grab a battering ram and they're like, no, we're getting (laughs) in. You don't understand. We're not like, you know, we we're, we're planned. We are ready. And they're peering through the, the little like window bars and like charging the door. And then there's this great image of, they have are essentially distracting them at the door, but there's a window behind the room and a, a very cute little boy just comes through the little window. He's got his little gun. He's like and five you see his little, max. Yeah. You, you <laughs> see his little thumbs. They're, they're struggling to like cock the gun, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's so perverse. Oh my God. And, and, and Tom catches him at the last minute because he hears the cocking action. Once the little kid finally gets it, he finds an MP40 in the room, which I don't know why there was just a random MP40 in the room, but he picks it up <laughs> and uh, he shoots the kid. And it's this pretty gross shot of like the, the kid bleeding out and like it leaking down the white stone wall. Like it, it, yeah, it's, it's considered show- a big deal that he 
killed that kid. Yeah, they even show the wound in the kid. So the kid's got like this big oh bullet God. hole in his head and he's just lying there. Like it, it is it was pretty uh shocking. I I, I was yeah. obviously expecting some child killing because of the premise of the film. Um, but the, the lingering of the child's head just with the bullet hole was something I was not expecting. So it, uh, and then they just dive into that even more by, by the last like 10 or 15 minutes. So, um, Oh my God, he's literally just massacring children. Yeah. And with like confidence, like I'm about to, like, I'm, I'm fully here. I, I've mentally gotten here and I am about to just fuck up all these kids. Like he's, he's doing it with no remorse by the, by the end of it. And you know, y- you do understand why, uh, there is. Well, yeah, because, because the the, massacre, I think <laughs> never has the massacre oh. of children been done with such gusto, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And, well, and, and, and here's the thing, like this is where it is doing almost identically what the omen is trying to do, where it's trying to set up that the kids are doing so much destruction and driving this guy so crazy that he's going to respond to that at certain yeah, it's point. He's going to break to kill these kids. But 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 because of the way that this has just turned itself into a ground level suspense sequence, mm-hmm. and like I th- I think you totally get swept up in his psychology and like his sweaty like how am I going to get my way out of this and the you know like I I think you totally get swept up in that with him, which then you totally feel the moment that he is broken. Because it's such a horrifying moment, I think even more horrifying than anything in the Omen. Not because of how graphic it is. I think it just on an ideas level, it's very disturbing to watch. With the wife, which is the scene where yeah, the unborn baby kills Evelyn from the inside by yeah. joining the posse of laughing, la- laughing murderous children, and it's so dark. And the way that she performs it too, where she's like, you know, something inside me is moving. I need you to help me. Oh my god! Oh like, yeah, she's like he's killing red, me, like sweating her- like crazy, like just just angry her body is betraying her yeah it's 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 really horrifying and it's shot too in this long take of you know like her crying out for tom and you know like the and and for her her kids too because they have two other kids and slowly collapsing to her death in the frame but it makes it basically look like she's sinking into tom's shoulder as she just like falls and dies mm-hmm. there and you get a brief shot of like you know like blood leaking down her legs and stuff too it's a really really horrifying sequence that results in this pretty great shot of of tom just looking at her corpse in the foreground and sitting in the background with still the blood leaking from the child from the window who he shot who is trying to get in and it's just this you know yeah. wide shot where you get all three together you get the kid's blood you get his wife dead it's just it's she, it's it's awful she even starts to punch her stomach which is just such a oh. vivid imagery like it's it's I so gross oh. and like and sad like because once again we've set up in the first 30 45 minutes that this is a pretty happy couple they wanted the child they have a happy family back she home. rejects the fellini nihilism <laughs> yes the kids the, the kids need to be brought into the world yeah. because we love them yeah at least initially <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah and she's just, totally punished for it it's yeah. it's it's terrible it's really bleak Incredibly stuff brutal. yeah and they do this um, kind of like fade where it it shows the time that passes as he just stares at his dead wife and, you know, once dead baby uh, uh, just for like, I don't know, hours, like until the sun comes up, essentially. Um, and then he makes like the conscious decision to <laughs> fuck up these kids. <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah, it's a man that just has lost it all and has nothing else left to lose. Yeah. 
Well, with the, with this final section, I think that this is the perfect sort of like I think this is why the pairing is so cool because it almost has the same climax where it leads to a father has to kill a bunch of children despite the fact that he was not the kind of person who would have done that at the beginning of the film and now he's going to do it and you've seen this transformation you've been privy psychologically to how he's been broken in this way and the difference is is that when I get to the end of the omen I go yeah this is a like perverse idea Gregory Peck is going to kill his own child but it almost does feel tasteful when the cops come in and everything fades to white and it goes to a funeral and with this I find you get so swept up in the hysteria when he when he cocks the mp40 (laughs) I was like fucking do it dude oh yeah fucking like like that shot of him approaching just the sea of children all standing there and again we've we've seen them you know, block his path, chase him down, you know, you know, do all kinds of like basically action movie maneuvers. And he walks up to them like it's a Western and he, <laughs> the MP40 is next to his legs. The huge shot of yeah, them. It's like looking the holster shot almost like that. Yeah, it is in a cowboy movie. Yeah, for sure. Straight up. And it is like exciting. Like he is staring down, like the, the shot of his legs and the gun barrel, just staring them down. And then he just rips it. He just starts kills like 10 unloads. Kids. <laughs> he unloads the MP40 into the kids and then just starts beating a bunch of them to death. He starts, you know, whatever object he can find with his bare hands. He literally just starts beating children to death yeah. while trying to escape on the boat to get out. And it's just an incredible scene where it's like, what am I watching? It is child after like a, child, by the way. Like it, it's yeah, like like on a on a so physical level, it's complete. <laughs> it's completely absurd. Oh my god! Um, and it's so wild because even as you're watching it, and you know the context. Just seeing that image, you're like, this is absolutely insane. Like, and when and when I say child after up. child, I mean like he hits a kid with with one of the doors that he yeah. has, and then he's like shooting another, and then he's punching another, and that like they're just swarming him, like they're zombies or something. He's just doing one last ditch effort to survive. Um, and then to top that off, you get like the thought of what the cops are thinking as they roll up on the boat, <laughs> looking at this 45 year old man. Well, th- well that's what I mean. It's literally the, the same thing as the omen, right? Yeah. Because it's the oh, same, yeah. like, the, yeah. like, like the cops are chasing him being like, well, this guy is just kidnapping a child and trying to harm a child. Like without context, this is just bizarre. And it's yeah. the same thing here, except the image is just that much <laughs> more like absurd. Like this, the, the, when the military patrol arrived, they are watching a man just slaughtering <laughs> dozens of children. And they are, <laughs> Oh, I was it is cheering so, and cheering. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and they do eventually, like, gun him down. And they're like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, what? What was... Why was he doing that? Like, I don't understand. And then the kids immediately, like... I, I forget what it is exactly that they do, but they, like, point them to, like, go towards the island. Yeah. And while they're investigating the kids just start taking over their boat, taking their rifles. Like they're just like, Oh, thanks for the ship and everything, by the way. They don't waste uh, any time either. Like the one, I think two of them go into the city and then the one cop uh, turns around because one of them yells goodbye at him. And then he shoots him with the rifle. But before that, they have this like awesome zoom of all the kids just, you know, just, just really organized and, and collecting all the weapons that are on the boat as if they've done this a thousand times and they're like some military yes. group or something like that. It's, oh my God. They're forming a guerrilla army. Yes, yes, exactly. And then they just take out the cops. What's the line they say about, 
Yeah, like the children on the mainland, There, there's so many children there we can play with or something like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, he yeah. says, do you think the other children will start playing the way we do? Yeah, Which is uh, so creepy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the one... Well, because then they grin and they're like, uh, there are lots of children in the world. Lots of them. Yeah, <laughs> and what I like about that is that they just have this assumption. I mean, I guess it's a little bit supernatural, too, with the whole hive mind thing. But they have this assumption that it's like, all kids are going to feel this way. Don't worry. We'll get our army. That is just so creepy, too. And then you just And it's also so grim. Like it's oh, just, it's yeah. so insane that 70s movies could just all end like this. I know. Where it was like you you know where the movie was like eventually like you you have some idea of where it's going with the couple is going to, you know, try and resist this army of children who's trying to kill them. And like it's like no no no, they they absolutely brutally kill both of them and then they also kill the cops and the world is ending we caused it and it's just time to suffer and scream the kids are on their way like that's it that's the end <laughs> yeah and i even like the like the it's, it goes back to a little bit of almost the cutesy imagery i mean they're holding guns some of them but the others are you know jumping off of the boat and swimming and just having a great time together just no adults just all the kids just having an awesome time uh, while the like seven to ten of them get into the boat and go off to the island where you assume all the chaos is going to happen again um, on a bigger scale. Um, but just to dive back into that kind of like childlike, we're just playing. We're just having a, a great old time. It's just I, I love it so much. Same here. Same here. Ugh. Well, I think that uh, that will probably pivot us over to the reductive rating round. On yeah. Who can kill a child? And uh, for me, this was a very, very solid four. It might even be a, a high four. I might need to give it another watch because I was kind of, I was very surprised by it, especially because I just, you know, hadn't heard much about it, hadn't seen anything else by this filmmaker who I'm like, did he make anything else like this? I, I read up that he did like a, a horror television series and I think uh, so he did I might one have to check that a, out. A girls boarding school as well or something like that. Yeah, the, uh, the house that screamed, yeah. I think I... So I haven't watched yeah, so I'll, it. Yet, I'll have but... to check that out as well. Apparently, his big claim to fame is a, t a Spanish game show called oh. uh, Un Dos Tres. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe we should ch ch we should do a Chicho Cerradoro tourism and go check out his game show and see if it is just as hysterical and in insane as uh, this movie I wonder is. If it's but like a, a game show called Who Can Kill a Child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every week it's a different answer we find out um can this week's contestant do it um, <laughs> oh, man. uh but 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 yeah this was very very solid for me i think that like Again, it, it just has this very eerie and menacing, like slow burn quality to it, taking these very legitimate, exploitative parental anxieties about bringing children into a world of suffering. And it's a very nihilistic idea that the characters almost want to reject on some level, especially after that uh, opening montage. <laughs> um, but yeah, then it, it this anxiety physically manifests in a, an island of psycho killer kids who have violently overthrown uh the adults and once it makes that reveal um it is you know via that really awful beating scene with the old man using the old man as the pinata it's just it instantly locks you into the tense and gruesome sort of ground level suspense action siege situation that these characters are in i think that that's the right call and i think that is what ramps up the intensity more than the omen for me where it's just like yeah 
because because I, I wouldn't argue that this is like, you know, it, that this doesn't have just as much downtime. I think it just uses its downtime really effectively where it spends an hour building the very creepy, solid atmosphere before making clear what it is that it's doing and then just exploding once it actually and does never it. Lets it, it just up. it feels yeah, like it, like it's it's not like shock and then kind of we return to a little bit of flatness and then a shock. It's very methodically developed and it's very perversely gets you, you know, swept up into the uh, you know, the subjective experience of the characters who have to make this choice yeah. to be parents and to decide to kill a child and by the time he picks the dad picks up that mp40 <laughs> you're, you're like cheering. absolutely fucking do it man <laughs> yeah. like it's time they've earned it and uh <laughs> as it turns out the answer to the question is that if enough of them swarm you and try to beat you to death like you're a pinata and there is an mp40 nearby Use uh, it. any of us can and maybe should <laughs> kill these children <laughs> which is uh you know very bleak and very nihilistic and i think the movie totally owns it through and through and it it looks great it moves great yeah just awesome one of my new like favorite horror films of the 70s i think yeah yeah i i, I agree i think this is this is this is great i was a little bit in the first half not sure um, just because I thought it might do what we didn't like about The Omen, which is even in the second half still kind of stick with its slow build. But like what you said, just the fact that the first half is all build up and then the second is just pure, like almost action movie level uh, hysteria. Yeah, the, the, from them breaking in to chasing the car to killing the mother, like the sequence where she dies, I find even if it's not that graphic, I just find really disturbing. Yeah, it's the and, thought like, and the level. performances. Yeah, just like, because all they really do physically um, is, I mean, her performance is great. Like I said, she's like just sweating and totally red in the face and looks like she's through a true panic. Um, and but being then they betrayed have, yeah, yeah. on like a cosmic level. Yeah, because right? it's like, you know, it's the baby. It's someone that it's something that you you love and you're going to nourish. And now it's it's quite literally killing her. Um, and but they do have the physical shot of her her le like legs bleeding down, which is pretty mm -hmm. creepy and, and just kind of like gets you a, a, a cringing a little bit. But um, but yeah, it's it's mostly just really sad in that sequence. Um, and, uh, and then it just gets completely explosive with watching him MP40 a bunch of children uh, and then using whatever's <laughs> at his disposal by the time he gets to the boat. Like he's using like the oars. Whacking or, like, them with whacking pieces them with of yeah, metal. With and, yeah, like whatever oh, he God. gets his hands on. So yeah, I think, I think this is a lot of fun. Um, it is... Uh, quite creepy. It does take its time, but then it's very much worth it. Uh, and yeah, so I, I'm going to give it a four out of five and yeah, check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Solid four. Uh, I, I think it's great. I, this is actually another one that I hadn't, I saw this when I was in high school and I hadn't seen it since. So again, like mm. a bit of time since the last watch and uh, yeah, holds up even better than I remembered. Yeah. When when you were watching it when you were younger, were you very excited about children being murdered, or were you you know as that have you grown into that position? Uh, <laughs> I think I definitely enjoyed this, maybe even more when I was in high school. But it, this was sort of in a I had like a, a little bit of a spree when I was like in high school where I was just like getting into horror and also discovering that there's so much more horror out there than what is on the shelves at Blockbuster. Um, so oh, like yeah. a lot more like international and just stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I was just devouring whatever I could get my hands on. <laughs> and this was one that I did find. And, uh, yeah, it rules. 
<laughs> yeah, it would be funny to watch this at like 12 and then you're just like, you know what? They're right. They're absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably more like We're 17, over. that type of thing. But yeah, still okay. close enough that I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe mom and dad suck. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, what, it's uh, great. What a... What a blast! Um, in a really obviously grim way, like in in a <laughs> yeah. way that like I'm gonna I'm gonna need to wait to revisit. Like it, it almost reminded me of my experience with Wake and Fright, where I was like, "That's an impeccable film," but I I'm gonna need a while before I return <laughs> back to just the the mindset is so you know disturbing and so you know the, and so sweaty and uncomfortable in, yeah. in a lot of ways. And as it well, almost seems so. like the director is gleefully doing this just as much as the kids are when they're killing yeah <laughs> which is which is quite fun um yeah yeah I, I it's the exploitative like, version that we were looking for so yeah. i the pairing made perfect sense to me yeah it's a great yeah. pairing yeah so thank you anna oh i feel yes. so accomplished that i could bring a movie to you guys that like took you back because <laughs> i feel like, yeah. like you've and seen we hadn't heard of so it. much yeah like i know if i'll be able to do that again but uh yeah i'm very <laughs> proud of myself that i got this one <laughs> in my back pocket and that it worked out yeah i'm yeah, very no, happy abs- that i've seen abs- this now absolutely um but yeah i think that that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode that was the omen from 1976 and who can kill a child from 1976 thanks so much anna once again for joining us and for bringing these uh films with you uh if you've got anything uh to plug while you're here this is where we usually have you do that if you got any uh articles coming out any post tiff stuff you're still working on i think the last time i saw you we were at the uh, femme fatale brian de palma screening so i hadn't didn't get a chance to ask if you where you're what what you're writing was up to yeah yeah great screening by the way gotta mention that um but yeah actually this is kind of a perfect timing because at film school rejects we're coming out now we started rolling out um our 31 days of horror movie lists so um, a list each day of like a top 10 in whatever category um so yeah there's some good stuff this year um and yeah you can go check that out um and then I don't want to jinx myself, but uh, if the fates allow, I will be uh, <laughs> uh, writing an interview with a very uh, personal favorite filmmaker. Um, so that will be... Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I, I'm like tentative to... I don't want to jinx myself on record, um, but <laughs> hopefully by like next week, this will all make sense. Um, but yeah. Okay. I'll look forward to it. Yeah. Awesome. I will well, tell yeah, you definitely go check but, out... Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just, so everyone I can't go check out Anna <laughs> at uh, Film School Rejects, and I think she's also Twitter Miami Vice 2006. Yep. Correct? Absolutely. There you go. Yeah, that should that should attract all the right listeners. Um, <laughs> go, uh, go check out Anna. And uh, for our listeners, we are going to be back in one week's time continuing Spooktober with the episode that you all voted for because you guys are a bunch of freaks. We are talking about Bill Lustig's Maniac from 1980 as well as the film uh, Angst from 1983. I think it's the Austrian film, actually. Both both really, really nasty (laughs) and uh, 
uh, serial killer films. And uh, with uh, Barbarian currently in theaters, people are kind of talking about angst. So it just kind of reignited the the conversation around that a little bit. So that's what we're going to be talking about there. And as a result, once again, keep in mind, uh, next week, I think the uh, voting will start for the uh, next patron voted episode because we always start the next poll around the time that the new episode, the episode you voted for is coming out. So keep an eye out for that. Get the double features ready. Uh, it, it gets a little, it's a little, you know, there's a little bit of infighting going on when we, when we drop these now, there's a lot of people voting. So yeah, get, get prepared, uh, start picking your camps. And then in two weeks time, we have a uh, very special returning guest, Joining us to talk about two films that, uh, once again, the two big heavy hitters that I haven't seen, probably two of the bigger 80s horror films that I haven't seen yet. We're going to be talking about Night of the Demons. Nice. As well as Clive Barker's Nightbreed. So uh, we've only covered Hellraiser on this show for Clive Barker, so I'm very interested in checking out Nightbreed. I have not seen either of these. Me neither. But uh, I... I trust the uh, picks and the guest is actually going to be Eric uh, Peacock from the Soundtracker podcast. And we're also going to be guesting on his show soon as well, where yeah. we're going to be talking about uh, some Rob Zombie. So we're getting a little bit of spooky crossover uh, 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 event of the season on the <laughs> way. So look forward to that in two weeks. But that being said, that wraps it up for this week's spooky episode. And uh, keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. <laughs>